We're taking our Bibles. We're going to Judges chapter 13. Judges 13. Would you join me as I just read along you follow in Judges 13 where it reads in verse 1 these words. The children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord and the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Judges 13 verse 2. Uh, Judges 13 verse 2, yes. And there was a certain man of Zorah of the family of the Danites whose name was Manoah. His wife had been barren for a number of years and she bare not. The angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said to her, Behold now, you are barren and bearest not, but you will conceive and bear a son. Now therefore beware, I pray you, drink not wine nor strong drink and eat not any unclean thing. For lo, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come on his head for the child shall be a Nazareth right unto God from the, be, from, the be, from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Jump down to chapter 14, verse 1. And Samson went down to Tim, uh, I'm sorry, the end of chapter 13, verse 24. The woman bare a son and called his name Samson, and the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtael. And then we start getting his story. Now, we understand, we know this, we grew up on this. We know that the superhero figures of every generation. The outfits and the costumes, they vary. They become a little bit more lifelike and real anymore. We understand that those are legendary we, and, and they're fascinating. They're fun to goof around with. But the one character who was something, say, was a legend, he wasn't, he was a real character, is Samson, a real live superhero of the Old Testament. An individual who had that superhuman strength. And as we go through his story, we just look at a few thoughts this morning. Some may overlap a little bit tonight. But I want to just continue and keep these thoughts in our mind. There's three of them. The fourth one we'll add two weeks from today when we get back into this series. But I want you to look at his life as a whole and understand this number one thought. God's power is phenomenal. God's power that he can imbue, can do, put on people. It is fascinating what he can do and what he can enable people to do. Now Samson in his story, in his case, God enabled him to do phenomenal strength, feats of strength, muscle, muscles, and do things that were beyond our ability. We talked about this morning. We talked about how if you weren't here, in chapter 14 he kills a lion, rips it apart with his bare hands, no weapon at hand but this lion who was attacking him. We pointed out in the morning that after he he has his wedding and they trick him and they beat him and they find out his riddle. All these Philistine men, he owes them because he bet with them and lost the bet. So he has to go out and get 30 different fancy garments. So he kills 30 Philistines to get the garments to pay off his indebtedness. But to be able to go out and to kill this many people that quickly is phenomenal. Okay? There's the idea that when he comes back and he says, I want my bride that I had left in a huff. I left the wedding party. I walked away. They thought he had ditched his bride. The father thought that his, his daughter, who they had the celebration for, that she's been left at the altar. So he gives her to, the, to one of the men at the party who wanted to marry her. And she's married away by the time Samson comes back. Whether it be weeks or months later, he comes back and his bride is not his bride. His bride has been given away. And he gets in such a, a tizzy that what he does is he goes out and he, and he wrecks a lot of havoc upon the Philistines. And he's going to get revenge upon that village, upon all those people by burning up all their crops. So for him to do that, he uses his supernatural strength to go out and he captures 300 foxes that are fast. He captures them and they're wild. He holds them while he ties them together, put the torches between the tail. Then the passage, we didn't look at it this morning, but there's another phrase. Look at chapter 15, verse 8. As the story continues, it says that their crops are burned up and the officials of the town in the region of Timnath, they basically say, who did 
this? Who destroyed all our crops? And they say, it's Samson. And so they're going to start sending troops after him. But it makes this comment. It says that he smote them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. So somewhere in this, they're coming out to capture him, and he is defending himself against the Philistines, and he is wrecking havoc upon their soldiers, upon their police system at that point. After that, this is when he has the big encounter um, uh, in fact, there is the other one. After that is when, I'll, I'll come back to it. Um, later on, 20 years later down the road, what he does is he is in a city in Gath. It's chapter 15, starting with verse 14. My, my numbers don't feel right in my head, and they're not. Okay, um, This is, I, I've got a blend of passages here that shouldn't be that way. In chapter 15, verse 14 and following is when they send out a whole troop of hundreds and hundreds of soldiers to come against him. And that's when they come and he gets empowered by the Spirit of God. He picks up the jawbone of the ass and he kills a thousand different of the soldiers. Then after that, there's a peace in the land for about 20 years. Then we go to chapter 16, and it starts off, that's when he goes to the city of Gath, and he's there, they want to get rid of, they want to, or Gaza, they want to get rid of him, and so they set the ambush. He wakes up in the middle of the night, takes the gate off of their, off their wall, and walks away with the gate, hauling it away. And we made the comparison, it would be hauling away one of the pickups out of the parking lot, going 35 miles up and down hills. And so, here's this fellow who can, get, I mean, he, the, the strength that he shows is just phenomenal, okay? And some of those situations, though, it was out of his anger and whatnot. It does say in the text that God was using these situations to try to put greater division between the Jews and the Philistines. And yet, for all of the division that Samson's creating, he turns around and parties with these guys. And so we look at it and we keep on going through the story that what happens later on, and this is where I blunt the two together and had them out of, out of sorts, but he is, he is just an incredible, incredible picture of what God can do through us if we, if we are just allowing God. Now, God could do a whole lot more through him if he had been totally yielded and dedicated consistently. And yet, even though he's up and down, it's amazing what God can do. It's amazing as I was thinking about this and just running through as, as I was focusing on this and just going through our church directory praying for you guys here this past week and thinking about some of your stories, how God has worked in your lives, how he has used some of you and worked some phenomenal situations in your lives and, in, and how he brought you through some different difficulties, different trials and restored some of, uh, some of the homes, gave you some, some incredible job opportunities, used you to share the gospel. God's power is amazing. It is absolutely amazing. That is, that is overriding, overarching the story of Samson is God's power is absolutely amazing. But we want to point out this. Okay? This power of God comes purely by grace. Samson didn't deserve it, and neither do you and I. But it's purely by grace that he had that ability, that strength. And we pointed out this morning that several times it says the Spirit of God came upon him, the Spirit of God. He didn't deserve that, but God gave it to him. He didn't, God didn't owe him, but God gave it to him. Where he is all of a sudden experiencing the mercy and grace, even when he has at times disobeyed the Word of God, and God still enables him to do a job. God is faithful to his Word. We need to be faithful to God so he can use us to the fullest capabilities. And yet, here's Samson, that God is using him in his flawed condition. How much more could God have done if he had been faithful? 
Well, he's, he's, he's up and down, up and down, and eventually what happens in his life is that third truth. And this is the sad truth of Samson's life. You could lose your power. You could lose the grace, the, the, the whole blessings of God upon your life. That says, as we read this evening, that God was blessing him and moving in him. But then when we come to the end of chapter 16, the guy is, he's in chains. He is blinded. He is working as a slave. And his greatest feat is in his act of taking his own life. Here's an individual who has so much potential, but by his choices and conduct, he, he basically forfeits the judgeship that he's supposed to have over Israel. He forfeits the opportunity to bring revival. He forfeits the opportunity to cause greater division between the Philistines. And so his story is a picture of grace, and at the same time, it's a picture that challenges, that says, be careful. The grace of God can be removed from our life in the sense that God may have to shelve us if we're not careful. God may use us to a degree, but if we go too far and ruin our testimony, it's like, okay, I, I, you're such a dirty vessel. You're such a broken and, and by choice, a marred vessel. I, I can't use you anymore. I have to put you where Hebrews talks about, put you to a spot where you can no longer recover and get back to a place of real usefulness to the degree that you used to be. Now, how did Samson get there? Let's just rehearse a couple things we said this morning and add to them. Samson made a lot of choices. And to me, one of the saddest choices he made was is fooling with his dedication. And then this comment comes out about his life. It's in chapter 16. Uh, to me, this is, again, I put it up here on the wall. I think this is a phenomenally sad verse where it says these words. She says to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. He awoke out of his sleep. He said, I will go out as other times before and shake myself. This last phrase, he did not know that the Lord was departed from him. He didn't even realize the blessing of God was taken upon. He was no longer filled with the Spirit. Can you imagine coming to a spot where you, you don't even realize that you've walked so far away from the Lord that your fellowship is broken and you don't even know it? That you, you lost the filling of the Spirit. You're saved today, yet so as by fire. You're saved, but God it can't use you anymore. Your, your fellowship, your prayer life, your, your devotion to God is so broken, and it doesn't even phase you. Can you imagine becoming that calloused? That's where Samson comes to at this point in the story. He doesn't even recognize that the Spirit of God is no longer enabling him. Wow. Wow. Can you imagine a parent going through the motions of the day of raising their kids and not even realizing that they are so apart from God that God won't even answer their prayers? Can you imagine a Sunday school teacher so far away from the Lord that they don't even realize that the blessings of God have been pulled off? Can you imagine a church so involved and has the mechanics and the outward appearance, but there is so much strife or bitterness or, or angst or, or carnality, whatever we can read in the New Testament. Doctrine has gotten wrong, uh, dis, you know, distorted or what, and God's blessing is gone and you don't even know it. The conviction, it's not even felt. That's where Samson's at. How in the world did he get there? Okay. Now, we know in history some of those legendary make-believe characters, they all had weaknesses. 
Achilles, when his mom, according to legend, put him and dipped him in the, in the pool, all but his heel. And therefore, when he's at the city of Troy and they have the battle and he gets stuck in his, you know, the arrow in his heel, he dies from this fatal wound in the heel, the Achilles heel. That was his flaw. We all know Superman's weakness. It's, yeah. Okay. Now, those are stories that are make-believe, that are legendary. But Samson was not legendary. His weakness comes this way. Okay, the weakness that cost him dearly, the weaknesses that we need to avoid. We don't want to say, oh, wait a minute, I'm not as bad as Samson. You know, I would never fall that far. We've got to be careful. So we avoid the same mistakes that he made. They are multiple. And they kind of build up one on another. Here's what we talked about this morning. We want to continue on. Samson came that low because he was persistent in getting what he wanted. Getting what he wanted. Now, this is going back to the very story that we talked about this morning. This is back in chapter 14, where it says he went down to Timnath, saw the woman who, of Timnath, of the daughters of Philistines. He came, told his parents, I have, a, I have seen a woman of Timnath, the daughters of the Philistines, get her for me. They respond, they say, now, wait a minute, wait a minute, you shouldn't be marrying a Philistine bride. You're to be marrying a Hebrew. His parents are opposed to it, but, and, and God's opposed to it. But he insists, I want what I want. He's very stubborn. In fact, even after she breaks his trust, he goes back to her, okay, in that sense. He wants this woman months later. And so here he is, his stubborn persistence of getting his way, even though it's caused him problems, even though it's against God's word, it's against the advice of his parents. He is persistent in getting his way, which you and I need to be careful of. That you and I don't become so persistent we ignore the advice and godly counsel of family and friends. That we avoid and ignore the word of God where it challenges us that, hey, wait a minute, this isn't good for us. But we are so persistent that we just have to have this extra money so we're going to go and we're going to get it by hook or crook because we really want that money. And so we'll lie. We'll cheat. We'll be unethical. It's not worth it. It's just not worth it. I see, somebody says, I see that friend, and I really want to have a relationship with that person, and they're not saved, they're not godly, but I really want it. I don't care what advice, what counsel I get. Be careful. Be careful you don't end up like Samson. This is where he started. He started by being persistent. Then, as well, we'll add right to the top of it, he comes low because he's determined to pursue forbidden fruit. Forbidden fruit, obviously, this woman. Forbidden in the Old Testament. That he shouldn't be going after a Philistine woman. But this is only the beginning. In his life, we only have a few incidents But jump all the way to chapter 16, and we're now 20 years later, and he is still going after forbidden fruit. We read in chapter 16 where it says uh, these words. Then it says, when Samson to Gaza, and there he saw a harlot, he went in under her. Do you notice how many times it says he saw, and then he acted upon it? He saw, he acted upon it. Same thing as Genesis 3. That Eve sees the fruit, she desires it, and she goes after it, and that creates a lot of the problem because then she, uh, she takes it to Adam, and Adam, he openly, knowingly, he disobeys because he's going to follow the authority of his wife rather than the Lord his God. Here we have Samson seeing things, drawn to those things. Be careful. Be careful what we look at. That's why we ended this morning saying, oh, be careful of lies, what you see. What we put in the eye gate is so critical. Here he is, forbidden fruit, he goes after. And in chapter 16, verse 4, he goes after Delilah. Delilah, we know, you know, she's one of those characters that when you say her name, it's like Jezebel out of the Old Testament. You mean it go bad stuff. 
You know, you want to go like this to her. You know, stay away. Stay away. You're like a vampire, a vampiress. You know, something of that sort. Here she is. She is anything but a godly woman. Now, she is living amongst the Philistines. And just if you, for your information, her name is not a Philistine name. It's a Hebrew name. We don't know if she was Hebrew or if she was Philistine. But we do know that she's living amongst the Philistines. And, though she's, and she's living there. She's not only living amongst them. She's living like them. And so by that virtue of that alone, she is not the type of woman he should be choosing and going after. And so here he says he wants this woman. He's attracted to these ladies that are forbidden fruit. Something else that is obvious in his life. He has a pathetic prayer life. There's only two times in his entire story that he prays. Though his story covers 20-some years of his account, he is one of the least in praying. You know one of the most in praying is? Jephthah, the guy that we talked about last time. Here he is, Samson, only two times it's recorded that he prays. Go to chapter 15 and watch his prayer and how it unfolds. This is after he kills a thousand of the different troops that come to arrest him. And we look in verse 15, it says about the battle. He found a new jawbone of an ass, put forth his hand, took it, and slew a thousand men. Samson said, with the jawbone of an ass, heaps upon heaps with the jaw of the ass have I slain a thousand men. And it came to pass when he had made an end of his speech that he cast away the jawbone out of his hand and called that place Ramoth-Lehi. He was sore athirst, or very, very thirsty. He called on the Lord. This is his first recorded prayer in Scripture. He calls upon the Lord and said, You have given this great deliverance into the hand of thy servant. And now shall I die for thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? Can I, can I just highlight a couple things out of his prayer life? Okay, His prayer life, though it's the one of the two, in his prayer he acknowledges, you gave me the victory. Okay, And for some who would look and jump on that and say, this guy is really clearly, really focused in saying, you have given the victory. I want you to pause for a second and go to the previous verse that I read. And notice that in the previous verse, before he prayed and spoke to God, who is taking the credit for it? Look at the thousand I have slain. So when he's talking to himself, not in prayer, look what I have done. But when he goes to prayer, he's got the appropriate prayer manner and conduct and words. I'm not so convinced it's from his heart. Because when he's not talking to God, it's about him. But when he's talking to God, it's about God. You have done certain things. You have done wonderful things. What strikes me is he does call himself a servant. And yet, if you look at the rest of the prayer, in the prayer, he is saying, you know, I've killed thousands. I've slaughtered thousands. You have helped me to do this. And now, now you're going to let me die? To me, it strikes me as a very irreverent prayer. Um, Almost as a prayer of saying, God, what are you doing here? You know, what's going on here? It is not this prayer of total dependence. This doesn't strike me as a prayer of total humility. It doesn't strike me as a prayer of just casting yourself and saying whatever, Jephthah, whatever you have, you know, whatever you want. Here, not, not in this case. In this case, it's like, I, it's almost like you're not treating me right for what I have done. It's really different from his prayer at the end of his life. The prayer at the end of his life, when he is about to die, he is a broken-spirited man. If I can recall the right spot, I think it's chapter 16, right about verse 28. Yeah. Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, this is, this is now later on. Want, look at the attitude here. O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee. Strengthen me, I pray thee. Only this once, O God, that I may at once avenge the Philistines of my two eyes. There's a very broken, very dependent 
situation. Samson is not what you and I would say, man, he's a model for prayer. Oh, he does it. It's showing in a public sense, and he has the right words. But what about the spirit? What about the attitude? Rather pathetic. Rather pathetic type of a prayer, prayer situation. If you and I are in this spot, if, you and, if you're sitting here tonight and saying, you know what, my prayer life is kind of pathetic. Beware. Be careful. Okay? Something else that he does. He plays to his passions. He plays them. This is very close to the forbidden fruit. It's going to end up in the same result. But in this case, he is playing to his passions. He is operating by passions more than anything else. Now, we point that out where we said already that he went to the woman. She pleases me. I saw her. Chapter 15. He saw a harlot. He goes in under her. But let's continue the story. Let's build up upon this where he is playing to his passions. Chapter 16. Chapter 16, it says in verse 4, as now he's, he's a, by the way, he is probably right around in that 40, 50 years of age. Okay, when chapter 16 occurs. Remember I mentioned to you before that there is a gap between chapter 15 and chapter 16 of 20 years. So now he's in his middle ages. This is where he's going to have a midlife crisis. And it shows up where in chapter 16, verse 4. Okay, it came to pass afterwards. And by the way, the previous verses, he's with a harlot. Now he's going to get with Delilah. So here he is, knowing better, serving God, and still playing to the passions. He doesn't have his life, his thoughts, his sexuality. It's not under control. It's controlling him. It came to pass afterward that he loved a woman in the Valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. And he goes on and talks about this woman, how she's in cahoots with the Philistine lords. That he is saying, okay, okay, that if they want her to find out the secret of his strength, they say to her, entice him, see where in his great strength lies, and by what means we may prevail against him. We'll bind him, we'll afflict him, and we'll give everyone, every one of us will give you lots of money. Delilah says to Samson, tell me, I pray thee, wherein your great strength lies, and wherewith you might be bound to afflict thee. And this is the beginning of what happens, that he stays with this woman who keeps on asking him the secret, and when he tells her you have to read it. It, it, this, this befuddles me. He says, now he's lying to her. He's leading her on in verse 7. If you bind me with seven green withs that were never dried, then shall I be weak and be as another man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought her seven green withs which had not been dried, and she bound him with them. And there were men lying in wait, abiding in, with her in the chamber. And she said, the Philistines be upon you, Samson. He broke the withs as the thread of a toe is broken when it touched the fire, and his strength was not known. And then she says, oh, Samson, okay, behold, you have mocked me. Tell me, you told me lies. Tell me, I pray thee, wherewith you might. And he tells her something, and she does it. Folk, I mean, seriously, wouldn't you say, warning, warning, warning. This gal is dangerous. Everything I tell her, he's playing a game. He's, he's got himself in the midst of this type of a person who's trying to ensnare him. It's, it's, not even, it's not even secret what she's trying to do. She's trying to trap him, make him weak. And he's as dumb as a rock. He can't get it. Why is he so dumb at this moment? He's operating by passion. His, his sensuality is in control, which means he's brain dead. He's running on hormones alone. Dangerous stuff. Just absolutely dangerous. And if he says, well, wait a minute, why do I stay with a woman who would do this? Oh, I love her. Oh, I love her. This guy falls into lust love time and time and time and time again. Not biblical love. Lust love. Because he's running by his passions. 
Something else that strikes me, we're going to come back to that part of the story in a moment, but he is very passive about the call of God upon his life. What I mean by that is what we alluded to a little bit this morning. They are going to offer her the $5,000 basically apiece and uh, give her all this money and if you find out the secret. So they're offering her this this, reward and um, she's, as the time goes by, she is saying to him, now read the whole entire story. Two of the occasions he is sound asleep when she tries to bind him, okay, which leads many to c- conclude he is probably sleeping each time, like the withs, the, the, the fresh, not dried withs that she wraps around him. You know, how, how would he let her do that? Were they playing a game or was he sound asleep? Okay, so the conclusion of many is he was sleeping in each one of them, but the third and fourth one, he's definitely sound asleep. And so this whole story as it unfolds, she's asking about the secret. The green wisp, by the way, that we just read about, that the first thing she tries, and he says, oh, this is what it is, it's green wisps. What they are is they're the bowstrings that are made out of the animal gut or intestines. Okay, that they would use for, you know, for shooting the arrows. So they're saying, okay, take some that aren't even dry yet, some animal gut that's been cut in and wound tight, you know, like twine, and wrap me in that and you'll capture me. Okay, and because something secret about the, the cat gut, you know, it, it, it won't hurt. And so she does it, and we've read the story that she ties him up, but it doesn't do any good. Not at all. Okay, he just breaks it, and she comes to him, and she says, says the second time in verse 10, where we start reading again. She's saying, you lied to me, you mocked me. And we read verse 10, what happens? Yeah, she's whining and talking to him. Behold, you have mocked me, told me lies. Tell me, I pray thee, wherewith you might be bound. He said, oh, if they bind me fast with brand new ropes that have never been used before, never tied to an animal, never tied to a wagon, never tied in any which way, brand new hemp ropes, if you do those... Okay, then I will be weak and be as any other person. So Delilah therefore took new ropes and bound him therewith, and she said unto him, Samson, the Philistines be upon you. And there were liars in wait, there was an ambush set. He brake the ropes from off his arms like a thread. Okay, now, I'm sorry, I, I just gotta ask the question why is he staying with her? Why is he staying in this room with this woman who has revealed her colors? She is not looking after his well-being. She is trying to put him into risky situations. And he's like, oh, this is fun. Okay? And so he stays with her. And the story just gets worse. It just, so in chapter, verse 13, she says, you know, Hitherto you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me wherewith you may be bound, he said. If you weave the seven locks of my head with a web, and she fastened it with a pin, and he said, the, fast, uh, the, the Philistines be upon you. He woke out of his sleep and went with the pin of the beat. She's, in this story, he says, literally in the Hebrew, it has this idea. If you weave my head inside the loom, my hair. I got two thoughts, so just make an observation. This guy's got to sleep pretty sound, Okay. When you're taking his hair and weaving it into, into the fabric, okay, wouldn't that tug and pull? His hair's got to be really, really long. Or it's got to be really cakey, messy. That kind of makes me think really gross that he doesn't feel anything. But when he gets up, he takes the loom with him. Okay? Now that had to be a sight. Yeah, talk about stuff in your hair. There's this big beam walking behind you, thumping along with your hair stuck in it. Okay, so he, you know, and I asked this question, why does he stay with her anymore? 
it, just, it, it, it befuddles me. It reminds me of a gentleman who used to come to this church years ago. And as a young man, and he's the young man, I told you a story a couple of times before, that uh, I met up with him years later, and I, and I find out his story um, that he had, he had gone, uh, there's so much in this story, I've got to be careful what I say. But I meet up with this guy, and he's telling me, he says, oh, yeah, my life's a mess, you know, da-da-da-da-da-da, he said. You know, I was with my girlfriend, but I thought I should get away, and I said, well, you know, it's good that you're not living with somebody. He says, well, you know, I was living with her for a while, and I woke up one night, and she's sitting on top of me with a knife. And she's got it, you know, she said, I'm going to stab you. And I said, you stayed with her? He goes, well, yeah. He said, I woke up another time really sick, and I had to go to the hospital. She had poisoned me. And it's like, and you stayed with her? Yeah. And then the third time, he said, I woke out of my sleep, and she was holding a pillow over my head. She was smothering me, and I got, I, you know, threw her off. Did it wake you up? That this was bad. Well, I thought then maybe she's not the best person to be around. Duh. Duh, really? You know, whoa. Remember what I said this morning? Okay, sin is stupid and there ain't no fix for stupid. That's where Samson's at. Samson, and here's the point that I put up on the screen already. At this moment, did you catch it? Samson now is getting ever so close to dabbling with that which is supposed to be a sign of dedication. Now he's saying it has to do with my hair. He didn't say it openly. But he's implying something here, and he's getting closer and closer to now compromising the secret of dedication and saying it has to do with my hair. And then the next scene is just an amazing scene. She comes back, she's accusing him, and now she plays with his heartstrings. How can you say you love me when my heart is not with thee? You have mocked me three times, and you have not told me wherein your great strength lie. And it came to pass when she pressed him daily with her, his, her words and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death. It's a terrible situation. And that he told her all his heart and said, There has not come a razor upon my head in 40 years. Okay? For I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. If I be shaven, then my strength will go from me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. And when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she went and called for the Lord's, Come up this once, for he hath showed me his heart. The Lord's came up. They brought money in their hand. She made him go to sleep upon her knees. She called for a man. He caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head. And she began to afflict him. His strength went from him. And so you have the situation that after all these years, all of a sudden his hair is cut. That sign of his dedication, he has compromised it. Again, it's not the hair that was the source of the strength. It's the Holy Spirit. But his hair was this vow that you're not supposed to fool with this. This shows that you're dedicated to the Lord. And now he's chosen. Delilah over God. That's, that was the choice in this one. His, she is now the passion, his, 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 uh, his whole life dedication. He threw out the window at that moment. This is like biting into the forbidden fruit of the Garden of Eden. God or Eve. Well, here he chose Delilah. And so his, it contributes to his fall. He is weak. And this is the moment that it says he goes out and knows not the Lord is not with him. I, I'm just amazed by that statement. Didn't he know his hair was gone? Didn't he know? I'm telling you what. When I go outside in the cold of winter, I know I don't have a hat on. Okay, It makes a difference. He, all of a sudden, he doesn't know. He is that 
in love. He can't figure out common sense things. So here here he is. Another illustration that comes from his life that led to his downfall. He put himself in bad situations. He allowed himself time and again to be in bad situations. The worst situations, just, it just complicated. Time and time again, I mentioned this this morning, he's befriending the Philistines. He's parting with the Philistines. He's going after the gals of the Philistines. Time, people that he's supposed to stay away from. People who are the enemy, he's flirting with them. He's running with them. He's drinking with them. And it ends up that he's sleeping on her lap. This woman who has, who has shown that she is trying to take away his strength. That she's got other people hiding in this room. Now it never says that he got up and fought him. It never says that in the text. I know Hollywood has that, that he gets up every time and he beats the... I was, <laughs> was going to beat the snot out of him. Okay, excuse me. That he goes out and he beats the guys. And he, you know, it, but it never says he got into a fight. Now if he got into fights each time, that just makes the story even worse. We don't know that's the case. But we know that at the very end when he gets up, he doesn't have the strength and he says, I'm going to go out. And the implication is there had to be some type of a fight where he says, I'll go out like he did other times. Is that other times right now or other times in the past with a thousand, with a slaughtering hip from hip? We're not sure. But what he does is he's, he's just, he moves ahead, moves forward. He is putting himself in danger time and time and time again. I, you know, there's certain things I don't understand. I don't understand why somebody who cannot control debt, why they have multiple credit cards. I don't understand that. I don't understand somebody who is struggling with alcohol, why they would go and sit in a bar. That doesn't make sense. I don't understand why somebody who is, who is you know, when they get discouraged, they go into binge things like binge shopping. I don't understand why somebody who is feeling the moments of discouragement, why they would call a friend and say, let's go to the stores. It's just a, it makes no sense. I don't understand some, some young man who's saying, you know, I, I don't want to have dirty thoughts, why they would sit in front of the computer in private and start bringing up more internet stuff that will flood their mind with dirty pictures again. Why they would even want that computer in their own private room as opposed to put it out in the living room where everybody can keep them accountable. Certain things don't make sense to me. Why we, but, but, but we're vulnerable if we're not careful. Watch where you put yourself. Watch the place that you would be. Be ever so careful. I, I, I don't understand this kind of stuff. You can just keep on going with it. I don't understand a married couple who are having problems in their marriage, why she would go to those chick flicks that are about gals having affairs and flooding her mind with, oh, you know, the grass is greener elsewhere. That just doesn't make sense to me. If there's a danger, a weakness in your life, you flee the youthful lust. You get as far away from it. You make no provision for the flesh. That's what God's Word says. But this guy doesn't do it. He just doesn't, he's not, he's not aware of his surroundings. He's not careful with his surroundings. He's almost like the, what happened to this uh, fellow who is a ranger in, in Canada. His name is John Elliott, and there in Alberta, I think it is, yes, that he was a forest ranger. He's out in the woods. He's checking some areas, and this is a true story that, that happened to him, that he's walking through this mountainous area, and as he's going and checking things, he and his dog are there, and all of a sudden a freak snowstorm coming in. He knows there's a cabin up on the hill, so he marches up there, trods up there, and by the time he gets into the cabin, he is cold. He is soaked 
from the snowy rain. And he's there with his dog, and he decides, you know, I've got to get this cabin, get the fire going, but I need to just sleep for a little bit. I'm so tired. So he just curls up on the ground, and, you know, yeah, I'm going to rest for a while. Now, this is getting cold, cold temperatures. There's no heat in this cabin. And he writes about it later that he's laying there, and as he just rests for a few minutes, he goes into that deep sleep. You know what happens? Yeah, you're cold, you're wet, and the temperature is dropping. The dog realizes there's problems, so the dog starts nudging him. You know, and the dog doesn't get a reaction. The dog drags him towards the fireplace. Now, a dog can't light the fireplace. We're not talking super dog. But the dog can't really rouse him. The dog starts biting him and attacking him. Until finally he gets out of his grogginess and wakes up enough and knows that, hey, the dog's been pulling on the coat and it's got some of it torn, and he realizes what's happening. And later on his comment is, the dog saved his life because he was unaware of the danger of the surroundings. He didn't take it in. And he could have froze to death. Hey, listen, that's what happens to Samson. He just freezes spiritually. And he's got warnings, but he doesn't listen to them. Something else that strikes me is this. There's two other thoughts. And let this sink in. He is proud of his accomplishments. He comes to the point where he becomes very proud of his accomplishments. I want to remind you of this part of his story. Do you remember early in his, when he's 20 or so? He kills the lion. Do you remember what it says that he tore the lion in two, but he didn't? Do you remember afterwards? There's a little line in there. After he kills the lion, he doesn't tell anybody. It says he never tells his mom and dad. Well, maybe he doesn't tell them because he shouldn't have been in the vineyard in the first place. But he doesn't tell them about it. Almost like, okay, I'm, I'm not going to brag about what I have done. But later on, there seems to me a growing pride. Chapter 15, we already read it. Where in that time after he kills the thousand Philistines, before he prays to God, boy, look what I have done. Do you remember how it's phrased in chapter 15, verse 16? Where he says, with the jawbone of an ass, heaps upon heaps, with the jaw of an ass, have I slain a thousand men. He's, he's pretty, he's pretty, yeah, hey, look what I've done. He's pretty proud of what he's doing. And then, and then on top of it, isn't it true that his pride is what got him in real trouble with Delilah? I will do to those people what I have done in the past. Very, very confident. Very, very sure of himself that I can't be captured. I can't be taken. No matter what you do to my hair, I'm invincible. Pride. What does it say in Proverbs? Pride goeth before the fall. Ooh, be careful. Be ever so careful that here's this guy who even comes to the point that he doesn't, he goes out. He goes out and attacks without knowing the Spirit of God, which leads me to the final thought. He presumes upon God. He presumes upon God. This, I think, is probably the fatalist flaw of them all that you and I have to be careful of. That he presumes where he says, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. And he knew not that the Lord had, God will never discipline me. God will never not use me. God will never stop hearing me. God will never chasten me. That's, that's where he's gotten to. He's gotten to a point where he thinks everything is okay. Why? Why? And I'm just thinking about this. He presumed upon God because God had used him in the past. So he's thinking God will always use me. He presumed upon God because nothing really bad has happened. Terrible, terrible bad that he hasn't gotten out of in the past. So it must be everything's okay with God. 
You know, I've slept with the harlots, I've been playing the field, I've been there in the, in the drunken parties, and I've been able to handle everything, and God hasn't smacked me down, so it must be okay. Hey, presuming upon God that since he was chosen by God, since he was the judge, nothing bad's going to happen to him. He's too, what's the word I want to use? All of a sudden, just lost my mind. Um, He's got to be used. He's got to be there. He's indispensable. That's the word. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. He's indispensable. Okay, that type of an attitude that since he looks good, since I still look like a Nazarite, and I've got the long hair, and since everything, you know, and everybody, they're just going to follow me. They're going to do what I want. God's going to use me because I look good on the outside. What a presumption. What a danger for you and me. To say, you know, God really doesn't care about our holiness. God really doesn't care if we abide by his, his law or not. You know, God will just put up with us, no matter what. Wow, dangerous stuff. That's why Romans is written to you and I who are believers. The whole, the whole 11 verses are phenomenal. Where he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid... God forbid that we take advantage and presume upon grace. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Reckon yourselves dead indeed unto sin. Because you're supposed to be. And alive unto the Lord Jesus Christ. So the power of God can be lost. And it can become to a point where for sometimes it's irretrievable. And he ends up totally in such a terrible situation that like Samson, he fought, like, like, uh, like him, we can fall in the same situations where, man, the hurts are amazing. His hurts. Let me just highlight and close with this. He hurt him his own self. If you look at chapter 16, verse 21, he ends up being captured by the Philistines. They blind him. They make him into a servant. He is mocked. He is no longer feared. Nobody is sending multiple troops. He's a skeleton of his former self. And these were the people he was supposed to deliver. He is now their uh, deliver the Jews from. He is now their slave. He is captivated by them. He hurt his own family. We know about mom and dad. We know mom and dad were hurt in the sense that he rejected them. But let me add to this, remind you, that when he took the honey out of the lion and gave it to his parents, he caused them to be, to be ceremonially unclean. He affected them. Though he didn't, you know, they may have, may have not done it knowingly, but here's the fact. When we get into this spot where Samson is like, where our pride, our passions, we're, we're controlled by that, we're going to hurt our families. There's no doubt. Consequences, chastisement, it's going to affect the family. You can't get away from it. Do you, do you remember ever reading about an Enwood Thomas? He was a famous thespian, Shakespearean actor back in the 1800s, mid-1800s. He performed in Europe. In fact, his father was a Shakespearean actor all in Europe and in America, and his younger brother as well in America was an actor. And this guy, he became a hero. He became press all over the nation. Not only as an actor, but around 1862, he was there at, in Washington, D.C., standing on a pl train platform, and there was a man over here with a group of people around him, and his son fell off the edge of the train platform because he was too close to it. And so this Edwin Thomas ran over, reached down, and grabbed the boy and pulled him up right before the train came through. That was the president's son. That was Todd Lincoln that was rescued by the actor. He saved the president's son, Abraham Lincoln's son at that point. 
But within two years after that, nobody, nobody would hire this guy at all. It's nothing he did. It's what his brother did. His young, younger brother's name was John Wilkes. Do you know the family name now? Booth. He ended up just, you know, this famous actor couldn't find a job. Nobody would have anything to do with him. Families are affected by what a family member does. When people say, well, this is, I'm going I'm to choose, I'm going to choose to just leave my family and desert. <laughs> it's going to cause hurt to the entire family. I'm going to choose to just get involved with an addiction. It's going to hurt the entire family. And sometimes it hurts this family as well. Which leads us to this thought that he hurt his own nation, his own community. The very ones he's supposed to lead. Back to a revival to the Lord. He didn't lead anybody. In fact, they want to get rid of him at one point. We read about, talked about this morning. In chapter 15, they say, hey, don't make any promise with the Philistines. Let us tie you up and give you to the Philistines. So they, they don't even want him around. He never led them back into a revival. There's no indication that people joined him and rallied to him. Every other judge they rallied to. But never Samson. Never makes that impact. And when he is taken away, they are left without the judge. And maybe that's why it was the longest of the oppressions. Because he never fulfilled his task. And he left the people in a lurch. You hurt the community of God. Should I wrap up with this one? You hurt your God. Heard you got. Watch, watch what happens here in this chapter that as it's wound down when he is in the prison house, go down to, this is when he's captured by the Philistines. Um, go down to verse 23, chapter 16, verse 23, and watch just a couple words that show up. It says, The lords of the Philistines gathered themselves together for to offer sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, Our small g God, our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hand. When the people saw him, they praised who? Their small g God. For they said, Our small g God hath delivered into our hands our enemy and destroyer of our country and slew many of us. They never were impacted with the truths of Jehovah. Where Samson was supposed to be a light, he was darkness. He never, ever drew even any of those nations in, in darkness to the light of Christ or God Almighty in the Old Testament. Never did. Reputation makes a big difference. Reputation, what you do, it's huge. Your reputation and how it affects others. Bill Gaither tells a story about when he and his wife were moving to this area in Alexandria, Indiana, and they were coming back into the community, and it's a community where his grandfather used to live, and he wanted to reestablish. So he comes in, and he sees a plot of land that he wants to buy. It's about 15 acres, and so he approaches Mr. Yule, who owns the land. Mr. Yule's in his mid-90s, and everybody in the community knows that Mr. Yule has been offered time and time again money for this property, and he's said, no, no, I've, I've said to the neighbors that they can use it, and they can use it for their farming, and, and you know, I told my neighbors they can have it. I don't want to sell it. So time and time and time again, so Gaither comes in, sees it, and he says he's going to approach Mr. Yule. He's told by many people he won't sell, he won't sell. He goes to him, and he says, Mr. Yule, would you sell me that? Nope, nope. Not going to sell the land. I let the laborers use it, the farmers use it. I told them it's theirs to use until, you know, whenever. But I just don't want to sell the land. And he left. He came back a second time and said, Mr. Yule, I have been praying about it. You prayed about buying property? Yeah, I did. And he said, well, what's your name? And he says, my name is Gaither. And he said, are you related to, uh, and I forget the name off the top of my head, you know, Gus, Gus Gaither? And he says, oh, yeah, he's my grandfather. 
And Mr. Yule's response is, he was the best worker I ever had in all the years that I farmed. Come back next week. I want to think about it. So he comes back next week, and this Mr. Yule says to him, he says, I decided that because your grandfather you know, had such a really good reputation, I'll sell it to you. So, uh, you know, how's $3,800 sound? Well, that was the going price, $3,800 per acre. He says, okay, that's reasonable for, you know, $3,800 per acre. He says, no, no, not $3,800 per acre. $3,800 for all 15 acres. Does reputation make a difference? Yeah. Your reputation could benefit your family. Your reputation could hurt your God. Wow. Wow. You and I, you and I need to be ever so careful. We need to pray. Again, I close with this. We need to pray this prayer. God, search my heart. Make sure there's no wicked way in me.